Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Good morning, brothers and sisters, and a wonderful Lord's Day greeting to each of you. And I commend you for giving the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, to the Lord as God has commanded. Now, we have started 2024 by studying the amazing book of Revelation. It is a book that gives a hope, as Paul said, that is steadfast and sure. And I love the book of Revelation, but I can tell you that Satan hates the book of Revelation. Did you know that there are two books that Satan especially hates in the Bible? And that is the book of Genesis and the book of Revelation, the first book and the last book. He has declared war on both of those, and it is his plan to discredit them. The reason is because in the book of Genesis, Satan's doom is prophesied from the very first chapters, and then in the book of Revelation, his doom is realized. I love the book of Revelation, and I love the book of Genesis, and I'll tell you something else this morning I love, and that is I love each of you. And I pray for you, and I wish God's best, and looking forward to this morning. Now, this morning, uh, I have an 18-point message, and that's actually true, so I hope you brought your lunch, and uh, 18 uh, points, two minutes of points. (laughs) All right, let's go to Revelation chapter 17, see if we can get out on time. I won't worry about it, but... uh, We are going to finish, the Lord willing, the last part of chapter 17, the third section of chapter 17 we're calling the extermination of the harlot religion. Now the book of Revelation describes a one world religion and it does so as the Bible does, which is very plain, as a great harlot religion. There is going to be a great worldwide religion under the influence of two satanically inspired people that are just dynamic. The Antichrist and a man or a woman or a transgender, a false prophet. It is called in Scripture by the word Babylon. Now, throughout the history of the church, theories have been offered as to what will be and what will not be this religion. While we cannot say with certainty what this exact religion is, there have been some clues to it as to its hellacious content. In past, conservative Bible teachers and churches would often feel like that it certainly sounded like Roman Catholicism, especially because there's seven mountains. Others have thought that it might, as the years have gone by, it is uh, Islam because 
It is a demanded religion. That is, it is a state-sponsored and uh, it is, people are made to be Islamic. Or maybe a fusion of the two, a syncretic type of religion, as you see a picture here in Nigeria now. There's a little startup called Chrislam, where they supposedly put Christianity and Islam together. In the Western culture, it is becoming increasingly liberal or socialist. Maybe I should say Marxist, really. Because of that, the buzzword for today's world religion is that of tolerance, equity, inclusion. But when we say those words, we're not talking about a God-based forbearance, which is a good quality, or justice, which is a good quality. We're talking about a demonic indulgence where anything goes, of course, anything but holiness and Bible holiness. In that day, in this great one world religion, everyone will be told this lie, that we should tolerate all religions because they're all the same. That is, everyone except for Bible Christianity. It is said, according to the Diversity Chronicle blog, that Pope Francis at the Third Vatican Council, to thunderous applause from the cardinals and bishops, he said, we welcome the pro-choice and homosexual unions, and then declared that we all worship the same God, just different names. All religions are true. And yet, the coming one world religion, as outlined in the book of Revelation, for all of its tolerance and all of its uh, supposed inclusiveness, we will not, they will not tolerate Christian faith, at least not the Bible-believing, Jesus-loving kind. In fact, they will seek its total destruction. Let me tell you what the coming world religion is going to do to people like us that are sitting in this auditorium. Revelation chapter 16, verses 17, and verse, excuse me, Revelation 17, verse 6. Hear it, read it loud and clear. I saw the woman. This is that false prophet pictured as a woman. Maybe it's a very effeminate man or whatever. But this false prophet is going to be so alluring, drunken, just inebriated with what? With the blood of saints perhaps referring to those that are Old Testament saints, and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, maybe referring to the New Testament. The martyrdom of the so-called saints will be people who are, are, as people call today, the extreme right. Or I saw another term the other day I laughed at, Christo-fascist, what? Or Christian nationalist. Whatever they want to call it, the fact is, it's just people who refuse to worship the image of the beast. Now, as a result of that, they will be seen as bad for humanity. There's a coming day that in order to promote public peace and safety, by the way, which some governments are already signing on to, like India and they have declared a non-conversion law. You are destroying peace by preaching about Jesus. They are beginning to, even in our own government, some, or I should say our own, this administration has 
pointed out as religious radicalists, those every evangelicals who purchase Bibles, who witness for the Lord, even tracking in person attendance as they did just a couple of years ago, making sure they watched everybody who was going into church. By the way, that's one reason why I attend church faithfully. I want everybody to know whose side I'm on. I don't want there to be any doubt. If you're going to come, then come on. If you're going to come and get us, you might as well just go ahead and I'm going to tell you right now, I can tell you where you can find me. You'll find me in church on Sunday. Because Mystery Babylon has already begun. We say, oh, well, that's really something that, that one world church that's going to be out there someday. Oh, it's going to be terrible. Do you realize it's already begun? Friends, we must never imagine that all of this stuff we're talking about is only future. 1 John chapter 2, verse, 15, verse 18, little children. Little children, here's John's heart pouring out. It is the last time. And as ye have heard, the Antichrist shall come. There are even now many Antichrists. It may not be the Antichrist, but there are Antichrists. There are people in influential paper, places who are against Christ, whereby you know it is the last time. And that's why it's wonderful to have this promise of knowing the book of Revelation, because we have read the final chapter. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3, blessed is he that readeth. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words. Not enough to read, you got to hear the words of the prophecy. But even more, keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. That's the whole doctrine of eminency. Christ could come at any moment. And we certainly have been blessed this January as we have looked at the book of Revelation. Now, I don't believe we should be worried, and I don't believe we should be weird about the future, but I definitely think we ought to watch and face reality and be ready for what's about ready to happen. Some people's reaction about the book of Revelation remind me of the man I read about this week. A man went to the psychiatrist with a worry problem. He said, every time I get into bed... I'm convinced there's somebody under it. Well, I can help, the psychiatrist said, but it will mean one session a week for a year, $75 a visit. The man didn't think he could pay that, so he never returned. The psychiatrist happened to meet him on the street, and he asked why he hadn't come back. He said, a friend cured me for nothing. Well, how did he do that, the psychiatrist said. He just simply told me to cut the legs off of the bed. <laughs> Now, friends, I hope we won't cut the legs off of the great book of Revelation and just ignore the reality of what's around us. And so today, our prayer is that we will finish this chapter strong and with God's help. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for these faithful people who love your word, aren't afraid of truth. Lord, I pray that you will, Holy Spirit, you will take, soften any edges of, of this strong message. Lord, help people not to be overcome by something that sounds different. But Lord, help them to be receptive, Holy Spirit, to the truth. Get past, Lord, our preconceived notions. And Lord, tell us what you want us to hear, Holy Spirit. And may we have ears 
to hear it. And may we keep it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the book of Revelation. From chapter 4 all the way through chapter 18, it is an exalted and glorified Christ. Christ unleashing judgment on the earth, punishing the ungodly and those that proudly reject the gospel. At the same time, preserving, keeping those who believe and belong to Him. And so annually in January, we sometimes a little more, basically one chapter a year. So we're at the end of the judgment chapters, only one more, chapter 18. He has been taking back the universe from the usurper. We sang a few moments ago, who is worthy to open the title deed to this earth? There's only one. There's only one that's worthy. He is worthy because Satan has had the title deed for too long. And that's why all the wickedness is going on, but it's about ready to stop. When it stops, my friend, there is going to be a cataclysmic coming together, a return of Jesus in chapter 19. So if the Lord tarries and we get to do this next January, we have one more year of uh, judgment preaching, <laughs> and then we get to get to the fun part, chapters 19, 20, 21, and 22. Here in chapter 17, the final formation, one of the final attempts of Satan to thwart the return of Christ and to kill Christians is that of a one world religion. Now, he has no chance of success because Jesus has already told us that. Satan is not omniscient, but he certainly has read the Bible and he knows his end. And everything that God has ever said has come true. God says that all religious ideologies will come together into one mongrel faith. And so God gave this coming worldwide religion a very ominous name. Revelation chapter 17, verse 5. Mystery Babylon. What church do you go to? Oh, I go to first Mystery Babylon the Great, Mother of Harlots, and the Abominations of the Earth. Why is it a mystery? Because it is deep, demonic, deceiving, and for the most part, largely hidden, although the tips of it are seen clearly. It is mystery. It is Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. Babylon, because theologically, it is tied to the false religion from the Tower of Babel. By the way, all false religion goes back to Babylon. It has different names, hundreds of different names, but it all is the same. Do something, wear something, eat something, be something, and then maybe you'll get this good in the future. That's, that's just basically describes all false religion, and that's what they did at the Tower of Babel. God scattered those people, and their false religion scattered all over the world, took on different looks and feels, but it still all goes back to Babylon. He said it's an abomination. It's an abomination because it's fake. It's an abomination because it was birthed by Satan. But strangely enough, this world is going to become more and more religious. Now, I'm not talking about Bible-based religion like the book of James talks about, pure religion. 
I'm talking about the devil disguised as an angel of light, bringing all the world to a common altar, using a very, very influential male-female by the title of false prophet. This person will commingle all religions. In fact, it appears that it is government-sponsored by the Antichrist, but only for a little while. Now, the only way this can happen is that they erase doctrine. I'm sure the Bible will be rewritten, absolutely, because you can't have a real Bible and have a mongrel faith like that. Instead of truth and doctrine, it's going to be all about experiences and relationships. And those are the things that will take the forefront. Diversity, equity, everybody is good and everybody's okay. But my friend, that is a satanic deception. Ask yourself this morning, how is it possible that the Jews and the Gentiles in the Middle East would ever come together? I mean, look at what's going on in um, Gaza there. The Jews and Gentiles have been doing that for centuries. Are they going to be able to come together? Surprisingly, yes. Look at our own country, our two-party political system. Can you imagine them coming together, working together? But it's going to happen. And how is it going to happen? It's going to come together on the basis of a common faith. It's going to transcend everything. Someone's going to stand and say, look, we need to forget all this. And we need to come together. We need to come together under the name of Antichrist. And the reason they're going to flock to him is because a supernatural thing is going to happen to him. He's going to die and come back to life. And when he dies and comes back to life... It's already going to be, it's just going to be amazing. And of course, the whole world will see because everybody has a phone and they're going to see it. And if they can't see it, an AI will make it happen again. But we're told in chapter 17 that this mysterious church is not good at all. In fact, God says it's a deadly prostitute. And if you get in bed with this prostitute, you will be caught with a terminal illness. And then in verse number 7, we found out that this mystery church is carried by the state, by the beast, which is the political system. And then in verses 8 through 10, we found out that the Antichrist has a government system, and he, God describes it as seven large mountains, mountains. In the Old Testament, oftentimes mountains were symbolic of a nation in several places. We won't take time to go with it. We already did. And so seven um, areas of influence, of power. So these, uh, this political system and this religious system will coexist for a while, and then some things are going to happen. And so let's be mentally and spiritually lively now as we dig into these facts. Six final facts about the one world religion. First of all, the beast is both the seventh and the eighth world kingdom. Now remember, these are all pictures. There's not going to be a seven-headed beast walking around and that. These are very uh, dramatic pictures, kind of like Jesus said, I am the door. And he wanted to picture the fact that through him we enter in. The beast is both the seventh and eighth world kingdom. And the beast that was, verse 11, and the beast that was and is not, even as the eighth, and is of the seven, 
and goeth into perdition. So these seven mountains of world power, you may remember we said what they were. They were Assyria, excuse me, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. The book of Daniel describes them as this big beast-looking thing. The seventh kingdom was that of the tribulation kingdom, the beast kingdom. But notice here in this verse, it says it's not just the seventh, it's the eighth. Well, how can the beast's kingdom be both the seventh and the eighth at the same time? Because as it says back in verse eight, this is the beast that was, then is not, that means it died, and then yet is. And so what's going to happen to the Antichrist? He's going to appear to die and rise again. It'll probably be just a big illusion. I don't suspect that it really happens. Maybe some drugs or something. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is it's certainly going to appear. The Antichrist's kingdom, he specifically and his kingdom with him, is going to appear to die and then come back to life. But as strong and as powerful and as amazing as this is, this verse is clear Whatever the case, he's still headed for perdition. The word perdition just means destruction. Now this kingdom, Satan's kingdom, Antichrist's kingdom is not going to fall like Assyria or Egypt or Medo-Persia or Greece to the next one. No, this one is going to be destroyed by God. How is God going to do that? Well, the Antichrist is going to demand that the whole world worship him. And the truth is we don't even have to Go wait until the tribulation period to see this false religion. As we read a few moments ago, it's already working. And America today often bows down to their gods. It might be their car. It might be their houses. It might be their careers or some pop singer or some sports or political figure. And yes, some fake religion. But today there are people who bow down. Even now, a spirit of antichrist is working. And so this seventh is also the eighth world kingdom. The second fact is this. The beast's final kingdom is composed of ten component parts. It is composed of ten component parts. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but received power as kings for one hour. Back in verse 3, we talked about the seven heads that had ten horns meaning seven kingdoms, seven, seven areas of influence, but ten dynamic leaders. The ten horns are ten kings, sim- world leaders simultaneously working with the Antichrist. Horns. On an animal, the horn is on the head. It's the first thing out there. It's symbolic of its um, power and its energy. And it's on the head. So the idea is that it is a head of something. During, um, and you see there are several places in Scripture where God likens the horn to one's power. And so the world will be divided into ten regions. You remember in the book of Daniel that God talked about ten toes on the beast. Now they were toes of clay. They're going to be crushed but they were ten toes. This is the same thing. These are ten zones. Some way that is going to be in a, uh, 
in federation with the Antichrist. Even today, the uh, UN has come together, and I read that uh, they, uh, in ResearchGate, that they have 10 regions they have put together, um, North America, number two, Latin America, number three, Europe, number three, Russia and neighbors, number five, Sub-Saharan Africa, number six, North Africa and Southwest Asia, number seven, East Asia, number eight, South Asia, number nine, Southeast Asia, number 10, Australia and Oceania. Well, these 10 areas, the Bible says that there's going to be 10 kings, 10 areas which have no received no kingdom as of yet. That's because the Antichrist hasn't taken over, but it's coming. But it says they're going to receive this unbelievable power and authority to rule the world underneath Antichrist, but only for one hour. They get one hour of stardom, and that's it. You know, people today are all excited about this and excited about that. And, you know, four more years, folks, I'm telling you something. It is seconds. It is just uh, one little shot in the dark. Because the devil is going to go down just like he is in the book of Revelation. Then there is a third fact this morning, and that is the beast's ten minions are dedicated to help him and take control of the world. And so these seven big kingdoms that are divided into ten components, led by ten prominent leaders, minions, lackeys, toads, that are going to help him control the world. Verse 13, they all have one mind. One mind, that's it. I mean, you talk to some of these people, I mean, they have one agenda. It's just like, wow. You can just tell they write about it, they whatever. They have one mind, and they willingly give their power and strength. Every dollar they have, every ounce of energy, they give it to the beast. Why? Somehow he has convinced them that this is going to be their way to um, everything that they've ever wanted. There are some goals that Antichrist has. Kill every Christian he can. John 10.10 says he has come but to kill and to destroy. That's exactly what the devil wants. He wants to kill every Christian. Number two, he wants to destroy Israel. That's always been Satan's goal. Kill every Christian destroy Israel, and his first goal is to prevent the kingdom from happening. And that is what he's going to try and do. And he will do everything he can. And so he is going to counterfeit a religion. You know, sometimes you go to a store, and if you give them cash, I hardly use that anymore, but every once in a while you give them some cash, especially if it's a 20 or if it's a 50, and especially if it's a $100 bill, They'll take a little pin and they'll mark it across it. And it is a pin to be able to detect counterfeit. Well, you know, we don't have a pin to figure out whether what's right or wrong, but we do have the Bible that is written for us in black and white. And that's our counterfeit detection pin. I hope you got it and I hope you're using it. Number, the next one, the beast will be overcome by the lamb. The next fact the beast will be overcome by the lamb. Verse 14. And they will make war with the lamb. Who's the lamb? That's Jesus. And the lamb shall overcome them. <laughs> when you think about it, a lamb? I mean, a lamb is, 
we were driving by here, the corner house over here, and saw this little lamb. I mean, this thing's about this big. Just the sweetest looking little thing. That lamb couldn't hurt anything. Jesus is pictured as a lamb. But you know, just a story about those lambs, they can become big old rams, so be careful. Jesus gets to be a big ram here. They make war with the lamb. He's innocent. He hasn't done anything to hurt them. He only wants their salvation, and he came and died on the cross. But they hate the lamb. Why? Because he is Lord of lords. They don't like that. He's king of kings. They hate that. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. They make war with the Lamb. And my friend, never misunderstand, but we are here today and the devil has made war with the Lamb. And if you are followers of Jesus Christ, he has declared war on you. He's declared war on your health, on your marriage, on your family, on your children. He is about to attack and has been everything that is right. Our Christian liberty, all the wokeness that's going on is an attack, not on traditional values. It is an attack on Jesus Christ. Always know that it is an attack on the lamb. He made war with the lamb. Whatever they want to say, it's about Jesus. That's what it is. Well, there's coming, however, a war like none other. The lamb's going to put them down. Chapter 16, verse 14 the kings of the whole world are going to gather together for a war on that great day of God. You know it. It's a valley called Megiddo, Armageddo, Armageddon. And so all these ten zones, all these seven world powers, and all these leaders are going to converge on this little strip, this little valley in 200-mile-long Israel, and they're going to all gather together. They're going to come via jets and planes and drones and submarines and ships. They are going to get there, and then the Lamb is going to overcome them. They are in for a thrashing. Why? Because He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. The Lamb wins. Jesus always wins. And by the way, that's the reason you're going to win. Because with God's help, no matter what battle you're in, if the Lamb of God is in your heart, you are going to win. You just stay right with God and stay humble. Jesus wins. And when your children are breaking your heart, Jesus wins. And when things are not going your way, Jesus wins because he always wins. Jesus wins. Stick with Jesus. Don't go out in the devil's side. That phrase, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, is actually a quote from Deuteronomy 10 and verse 17. For the Lord's your God, and that's your God too. He's a God of gods. He's a Lord of Lords. There's a lot of Lords out there, a lot of gods out there, but they're nothing compared to our great God, a mighty God, a terrible God, which regardeth not persons or taketh Reward. You can't buy our God off. It's not going to work. And then back to chapter 17, it says, They that are with him, that is the Lord of lords and King of kings, the Lamb, they that are with him are the called, the chosen, and the faithful. Who will this group be that shares in the victory spoils? 
they that are with him. You remember at the beginning of the tribulation period, he comes for his saints. At the end of the tribulation period, he comes with his saints. Here it says, though they are with him. Who are they? They're the called, they're the chosen, they're the faithful. The word called early, it means to literally issue a summons. What is the summons of God? Now, there are some misguided people who say, well, if God wants me, he can call me. If he wants me to be a Christian, he can just make me a Christian, and then I'll be a Christian. Well, it might be nice to hear all the bells and whistles and be there and feel all those goosebumps, but the fact of the matter is, it'd probably scare you to death. I know it'd scare me to death. What is the call of God? It's not a feeling, friend. Second Thessalonians tells us what the call of God is. It is the preaching of the gospel. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul said, we are bound to give thanks to God. Brethren, you're beloved of the Lord because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. Why are you chosen? Because you believe the truth. Whereunto he called you by our gospel. Today, God has given me his word to preach. He brought me here to preach. He brought you here to listen to preaching. He is calling you through the gospel. When you receive that, you are part of his chosen. God doesn't just choose one, jump over five chairs and pick another one, skip over 10 chairs and pick another one. No, the Bible is calling everybody. The gospel calls everybody to salvation. In fact, 2 Peter 3, 9 says, God is not willing that even one person should perish, not one. We are the called. When you accept that calling, you are then the chosen. And praise God, you are the faithful. Now, it's not that I keep faithful and keep my salvation. Oh, no. The Bible says we have been made faithful by the imputed righteousness of Christ and not any demon or Satan himself can stop my faithfulness in Christ. My friend, if you are depending on your faithfulness to get you to heaven, then you are in sad company. I wouldn't trust my best 15 minutes I ever lived to get me into heaven, much less some times I'd rather not discuss this morning. I am counting on the fact that Jesus saved me by his blood. He then made me righteous faithful. He gave me his faithfulness. Notice it says that the angels will also be there. And that's what the Bible says in Matthew 24. And so it's an all out war, but it's an ill-fated war because he is going to destroy them all. And so the beast will be overcome by the lamb. Then the next point is that the beast will destroy the harlot, the one world church. Verse 16 And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, which shall hate the whore, shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Now, folks, the Antichrist wants everybody to worship him. He wants to be God. He wants to be Lord of Lords. The Antichrist is the ultimate blasphemer. He doesn't want any other religion than worship of himself. And so he becomes increasingly put out with the false prophet. So the political 
world gets more and more disenchanted with all this religion. It can't stand the competition. He, it wants all the homage, all the power, all the authority. And so the fault, the antichrist then, the political system will then overcome the false prophet. It says he makes her desolate. And so he destroys the one world church, steals all the money, all the power, all the riches, absolutely makes it bare. And it says he shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Basically the false religion, which came on so quickly and just was such an amazing thing, will in just a few short weeks or months be totally consumed. It will be as if the false prophet's religion wasn't even there. The false prophet probably uh, knows uh, that the better mind their P's and Q's. And so the false prophet then tells everybody, look, let's, let's include the Antichrist. Let's worship him now. And that's going to be how it's going to end there. The beast will destroy the harlot, the one world church. And then the next fact, the beast is unwittingly fulfilling God's will. Unknown to the beast, really, fulfilling the will of God. Verse 17, for God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and to give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. God is going to gather everybody together like a bunch of sticks for a campfire and burn them up. And how did they get there? They got there because God put it in their heart. It's a final picture of a total destruction of the woman, the harlot, Babylon. Verse 18, and the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. And so now all that's left is the beast to enjoy his empire. Oh, I finally made it. Got rid of that old false religion, and now we have an antichrist religion. It's probably going to be some sort of a secular religion. I don't know what they're going to do. But um, there's going to be people everywhere that are going to be deceiving. Now, a few weeks ago, someone asked me, several people asked me, they said, now, pastor, let me get this straight. So in the last time, there's going to be preaching, there's going to be signs and wonders, there's going to be fellowship, there's going to be services, there's going to be singing, there's going to be all kinds of good deeds, there's going to be all kinds of these wonderful things going on. Yes, the Bible says peace, safety. I mean, it's going to be amazing. So here's the question they asked me. They said, well, how then, if it's so incredible, if it's an angel of light and they're using a Bible and they're talking about religion and it's so good, how will we know it's what's right and what's wrong. And I said, well, you know, thank the Lord. God didn't just pump it all up and then dump us. He said, no, I will give you some ways. And there are several lists in scripture, but I picked just one out of second Peter chapter two, 12 ways to spot a false teacher. And let's see if in the next few minutes we can finish these. You can study these more fully on your own. So I'm just going to kind of Zoom through them, 12 ways to spot a false teacher. Peter was so concerned about what was going on in his day, and I'm sure he would have been equally concerned today. Number one, they may fill infiltrate a church. They might even come into a Bible-believing church. 
Chapter 2, verse 1, there shall be false teachers among you who privily bring in damnable heresies. They're secretive. They have a hidden agenda, and their motivation is questionable. Now, let me just say one way, quick way, in a church setting, if you discern in your spirit, you're hearing someone talk, you're hearing someone's plans, here's a simple question you can ask them, and you can get a quick read on what's going on. Just ask the question, what does the pastor think about this? Or is the pastor aware of this? Now, pastors aren't infallible, far from it, but they are the God-ordained shepherd. Any response less than he knows of it and he's 100% behind it, walk away. Walk away. If he doesn't know about it and if he's not 100% behind it, no way. I don't want anything to do with it. The Bible says they will come into the church. Number two, they deny the work of Jesus. And the same goes true online or social media, whatever. They deny the work of Jesus, verse 1, even denying the Lord that bought them. They have a Jesus problem. It may be the denial of the virgin birth, the deity of Christ, the bodily resurrection, the second coming, but they simply will not bow the knee to Jesus. All false doctrine somewhere has erroneous Christology. Number three, they devalue the word of God. The way of truth shall be evil spoken of. It is a way of truth, not just an occasional verse or a tidbit here and there. No, it is a thorough knowledge of the Bible that should lead to a God-honoring lifestyle. If they only pay a respect to the Bible in passing, my friend, there's a problem there. Number three, they are out for monetary, or number four, they are out for monetary gain only. Through covetousness, they make merchandise of you, verse 3. Does it mean that as a minister or a church member can't have nice things or have bank accounts? It just means that you cannot serve both mammon or money and God. But these who are this way have a ruthless material self-seeking, which often leads to theft, sexual sin, and can even lead to violence. Number five, they redefine Bible words. It sounds remarkable close to the truth, but it says, number three, verse three, with feigned words, they make merchandise of you. Religious hucksters commercialize Christianity and exploit and deceive the masses. They redefine what sin is. So people will be happy and won't leave their churches and they can line their pockets. Number six, they have moral issues. They walk after the flesh and the lust of uncleanness. They are serial perpetrators, consistently given over to the flesh like an animal is drawn to food or mating. As a result, they hook in others, weak people, often promising, if you'll do this, we'll, you'll get money, promising freedom, but only leading to addictions. Verse 14, eyes full of adultery beguiling unstable souls, people who are troubled. Verse 15, they love wages of unrighteousness like Balaam did. Verse 7, they have a rebellious spirit. They just refuse to be under anyone's authority, will not join a church and be under the authority of them. Verse 10, or if they do, they refuse to be under their authority. They despise government. They're self-willed, verse 10. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. 
Not just an occasional attitude problem, we all have that, but they despise anyone, especially a spiritual leader, who will not allow them to do what they want to do. And if they don't get to do what they want to do, they are not going to be happy. And they love to major on minors. Do you know that almost every Christian cult started in church? Joseph Smith and Mormonism, Charles Taze Russell and the Jehovah's Witnesses, Alexander Campbell and the Church of Christ, Ellen G. White and the Seventh-day Adventists. All of these people actually started in a Bible-believing church, but somehow they got disenfranchised because what they were thinking and teaching and what they were believing was not accepted by church leaders. And so they said, fine, I'll just be my own person. Be careful. Verse eight, or excuse me, number eight, they have anger issues. Verse 12, as natural brute beasts. The word there is uh, natural is uh, unreasoning or unreasonable. They might have some sort of a level of peace on the outside, but boy, I tell you what, they are just unrestrained. And they, it says, love to misrepresent true Bible speakers. They speak evil of things they understand not. I mean, they're, they're somehow somebody that knows everything when they really be like a layman, you know, saying they know everything about brain surgery. And some of these folks know everything about the Bible when they know nothing about the Bible. Number nine, they are not students of accepted systematic theology. They speak evil of things they don't understand. These modern liberal teachers are absolutely confident in their own separate crazy conclusions. Whatever trivial ideas in their own minds, but they do not follow good, solid, systematic Bible theology. One example, just this week I read some wacky theologian who said, this week, some gal who thought she was some kind of theologian, she said this, she said, the Bible, in the Bible, God illustrates himself as both a father and a mother. Therefore, God supports transgenderism. What kind of theology? I mean, really? Crazy. Number 10, they prey on unstable and new believers, beguiling unstable souls like magnets. They always seem to find people who will give them a hearing, maybe people who are new or in a vulnerable state. They're just maggots. Number 11, they intentionally speak lies. They have forsaken the right way. It's not that they didn't know the right way. They knew it. They just willfully made the choice to walk away from the Bible way. They just said, no, I'm going to do it my way. They've forsaken. The idea there implies that it is a consistent walking away. Not just a one-time misunderstanding or something like that. Everybody sometimes makes a mistake. But I mean, I'm talking about they are into this. And finally, number 12, they purposely inflate to impress. They're wells without water, clouds that carried with a tempest. They speak great welling words, swelling words of vanity. Verse 17 and 18 of 1 Peter chapter 2. They make grandiose predictions of what's going to happen if, they'll, if you'll do this and if you'll do that. False teachers make a pretense of spiritual water that will thirst quench any thirst. It turns out it's nothing it says here, but dried dust. It's like a well that 
looks like a well, but it's just nothing but dust. It's cotton candy theology. It all tastes good, but it's just nothing but fluff. And they love to use alluring stories to get attention from their audience. This is a religion that is an inch deep and a mile wide. 18 points. There you go. We were in Phoenix recently. It was a beautiful day. We were enjoying the high desert landscape, beautiful mountain backdrop there. Pauline and I were driving along when I decided to turn down a seemingly nice road. That would be a shorter distance to our destination. The only thing was about 10 seconds into my turn, I realized I was going the wrong way on a one-way street. And there were curbs on either side. It was just one lane. Fortunately, I realized in time I was able to pull safely into a driveway. Now, I was very sincere, and I was well-intentioned. But upon closer examination as I pulled out, I realized I had ignored all the signs. And had uh, I kept on, I would have put not only my wife, but that oncoming driver at risk. My illustration is this this morning. Maybe you are driving along. You're enjoying the scenery. Just doing life. That's what I'm doing. And you're a good person. But my friend, there are signs everywhere that you have been deceived and you're going the wrong direction. My friend, in Jesus' name, turn around and take the Jesus road and do so today. My prayer for each and for those of you that are watching online, say yes to Jesus Christ and say no to that angel of light, Satan, who is masquerading as Jesus. And if you're saved today, thank God that because of Jesus Christ, you and I have been delivered from these terrible things. And in our heart is a joyous hope. He is coming for us. And then thank God we are coming with him and we return. And because God says you are chosen and you are called and you are faithful. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.